be in 2 Corinthians 5. You know, when you think about your faith and, and life, and I mean, everybody obviously realizes that eventually life ends. Uh, but it, it's always been interesting to me on how either we talk about it too much or we don't talk about it enough. It's kind of hard to talk about just the right amount. Uh, this, this text is uh, about that to some extent through the eyes of Paul. And as we look at it and the metaphors he uses, what I'm trying to do is take the text, of course, but try to what we call systematize. It's uh, not that hard of a word. You, know, you, you can't go to the Heaven Chapter 1 book in the Bible. You grab different texts, and that's what we're going to do today, and look at how, look at through the prism of what God has given us and say, what does happen when we die? What can we count on? What are the promises? And uh, maybe some things we may thought was going to happen wasn't, and some things that we forgot was going to happen, we'll find out does. So we'll start out here. This is the first five verses, and uh, Paul coming off of talking about a lot of hardships that he's gone through. Uh, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So it's not too hard to understand his metaphor here. The earthly tent we live in. Uh, he's talking about the body and how the body, this mortal body dies and then that tent is gone. That's, that's the whole idea. Now, remember, like I said, he's, he's writing this right after talking about all the affliction that he has had uh, at the end of chapter 4, uh, kind of poetic uh, stuff that he talks about. So perhaps, and we don't know, Paul doesn't tell us, but perhaps he's thinking that this might end in his death. And ironically, uh, it did, but uh, quite a few years later when he was executed, we're pretty sure traditionally by Nero. Uh, so... I remember uh, reading, anybody read the, the Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom? Yeah, it was a, she was a Dutch woman that uh, her family hid Jews during the, the Second World War. Uh, and so the Hiding Place is this place underneath their carpet in their living room that they would hide these Jews. Uh, eventually they get found out and they go to a concentration camp along with a lot of the Jews. But you get a lot of insight theologically about life and death and Jesus and from that book. I, I would uh, encourage you to read it. And then she has a follow-up after she gets out called Tramp for the Lord, which is a really good book too. But she, I, I think I can do justice to this. I guess I should have put it in the outline. But she said, you think of things differently when you think you're going to die than when you think of you're going to live for a long time. Because they thought, you know, any day they could get executed. And so they focused on things more. And I think that's what's going on with Paul here. He doesn't know. Uh, he realizes that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. And so that's what we're getting here. He's looking at this through the prism of the Spirit, I think. But he's always hopeful. He writes, a building from God, eternal in the heavens. This is the, uh, he's referring to the, the resurrected body of the believer. And uh, you're welcome to turn with me to, to Romans 8, which kind of gives a little summary of that in, in verse 18 uh, 
This is Paul, again, obviously writing to the Roman Christians. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. So again, kind of the same thing he saw, some of the same phrases you have here. So Paul may be combating here some false teaching in Corinth that saw our existence after death as a disembodied immortality. And we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. We want to get this right. It seems that as a pastor, I look at this and there's a lot of ignorance out there in what happens when we die. Um, you... Uh, and I don't know if it's because people just don't read it or we just don't think it through or we don't want to think about it. Or our culture kind of tries to sanitize death, which I'm not all against, but it is something we have to deal with. And you think about it, there's two sides of this coin, right? You might be sitting here, I thought this was going to be a happy sermon, um, but we keep talking about mortality and all that type of stuff. But it is a happy sermon <laughs> because that's inevitable. What, what, what do we have promised? That's what we're going to look into, and that's what Paul is hitting here. Uh, so... Three times he alludes to the physical Im Im uh, immortal existence that we'll have. He talks about putting on a heavenly dwelling, which the dwelling is the physical body. Putting it on, uh, we would be further clothed. He keeps talking about that. And this is the true believer's existence after the second coming. We sometimes miss this. And this is what the Bible mostly talks about when it talks about heaven. Uh, you can yell it out if you want, but what do you think about when you think about heaven? You know, I kind of mostly think about where people are that I know that have died right now, right? Because the, the second coming hasn't happened yet. But that's what the Bible mostly deals with, and he's dealing with that mostly here, too. Where we get a new heaven and a new earth. And you get a little bit of this in 1 Corinthians 15. So same, a book to the same group, but the first letter. So he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, what the bodies that we have now, is perishable. I think we all know that. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, fallen body. You know, that was the, wasn't that what the criteria was for Adam and Eve? If you eat from the tree of the, the fruit of the tree from the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But he didn't croak at the moment, you notice that? It wasn't a snow white thing, you know. It was, what, what happened when they ate that? It was, in a, in a way, it was a spiritual death. It was a spiritual disconnect from God. But yet, think about the grace of him setting things up for them, even outside of Eden. Uh, we talked about this in our Bible study, but you, you remember, uh, we all know the Cain and Abel story, right? Even the kids got that. You probably, you know. Um, what, 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 what did God accept from Abel that he did not accept from Cain? What, what were they doing? sacrifices. Well, who told them to do that? They just guess? So, I don't know. Let's try. Ah, let's kill something and see if God likes it. My guess is God told them that. Um, 
And then you come, we just sung about the old rugged cross, which is the ultimate sacrifice. Maybe, maybe there's something going on there. God's grace is already being shown. Even though there's dishonor, eventually it, the whole thing comes. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And I'm sure I look around, some of us probably feel more weak than others, right? It happens. It is raised in power. That's why I say my bucket list, I'm going to do most of my bucket list in the new heaven and new earth because I assume it won't hurt as much. We'll be like, you know, the Y.E. like coyote. You, know, you do the hang gliding, whoop, I fell, and you turn into an accordion, and then poof, you're back. I don't know how it works. You know, something like that maybe. Um, but it's sown a natural body, you know, how we were created. It has raised a spiritual body, and that almost seems like an oxymoron to us, doesn't it? You've got to think about spiritual as not meaning non-physical here, but God-breathed. That's what you've got to think about. It's, there's something more here. So there is a natural body, and there's also a spiritual body. And the natural body is the only one we've experienced. In fact, nobody's really experienced this yet except one, right? We all usually celebrate that around Easter time. Jesus comes with a resurrected body. Remember, he says, touch me. This is, this is a physical, spiritual body. <laughs> he doesn't quite say it that way, but I think that's the way Paul's putting it here. So in, in verse 5, he, he writes about that we have a, the Spirit as a guarantee. Well, what does he mean by that? Um, he uses that in Ephesians to say the guarantee of our salvation. I think this is the guarantee that I, I'm, I know what I'm saying. This is God-breathed, both from the inspired words that we're reading and from that inner witness of the Spirit in our own hearts. I mean, all of us have lost loved ones, right? But isn't there something in there that comforts us? That like, okay, we're guaranteed. We're okay. You know, it's, you know it may not be fun, but it's, it's bearable and the comfort comes, right? So that's, I think, what he's talking about. Now, this whole thing is talking about life after death. And I don't know if some of you hung in here with me for a long time. Many moons ago, however many seven or eight years of moons is, um, we, I did a series on heaven. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Um, 23 weeks. I couldn't believe I got it done that quick. There's a lot in there. And then I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember what the series after that was? <laughs> 21 weeks on hell, you know, so. I always wanted to name that. What the blank are we doing at Grace Stewart? I thought I'd get in trouble. I mean, come on, heaven, I meant. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it would be kind of a fun title. Maybe we'll do that on TikTok sometimes, <laughs> see if that works. Um, but what I, I did, I don't remember, I put a chart together, and it's in your, in, in your outline there. Um, we're going to go through this because I think, hopefully, it's a, it's a kind of a graphical way to look at what the Bible synthesizes for us. And, and I think knowing this should give you hope. It should give you uh, a realization of the grace that we experience through 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 Christ, and you know, it's a little smaller up here, and, and mine's in color. But uh, if you want the color one, email me; I'll give it to you. But this is this is the kind of you know, this is the chart that kind of tries to deal with all. Now it doesn't deal with everything, and there's some scriptures in it for you. Um, but what happens when we die? Isn't that something we all want to know? Now, different religions tell us different things, but. We get some of this here in, in, in chapter 5. We get a lot in other places. And toward the end of the sermon, we'll look at the end of chapter 20 in Revelation and the beginning of chapter 21, which is kind of that transition stage. So what happens when we die? Well, what we get is what we call a judgment of faith. How does this work? I mean, we get a little bit of this in different places. You know, you get the, remember the rich man and Lazarus? You know, one goes to what they call Abraham's bosom, just like that. 
uh, there's a judgment. I, I guess it doesn't take God very long to do his judgment there. Um, but it's a judgment of faith. You know, some of the scriptures, the main one there, Ephesians 2, you know, we are saved by grace through faith. It's the grace of Christ. We just sung about it. It's the trust in the grace that saves you. It's not trust in anything. You know, we say, well, you have to have faith to be saved. Yeah, but faith in whom? That's the key, right? You don't want faith in Krishna or Muhammad. or No, faith in Jesus. That's what he asks us to have. So it's a judgment of faith. Do you believe in Christ as Lord? Have you shown that in your life? Is this something that's real? Have you appropriated that? And, you know, we talked about how do you know that? Uh, well, mainly, what are you thinking right now? That's the way I'd go. Do you want to honor Christ? Are you guilty when you sin? <laughs> do you go to the throne of grace with confidence? Do you want to live a life that's obedient to him? Then you, man, I wouldn't worry about it past that. Um, you know, sometimes we look at past experiences, which are great. Uh, those are wonderful. But I wouldn't focus on those. I'd focus on where I am now. And even if you, you know, we all fall short of the grace, I realize. But where's our heart? And if you have that, that happens to some of us all. You know, it's like, I don't feel like it. And then pray to feel like it. <laughs> I guess that's what we can do. And you know, God came up with this wonderful idea. Other people can help you through that type of stuff too. So anyway, so you have this uh, judgment of faith. And what happens if, you, if yes, you believe, you go, and we're calling this actually comes out of Randy Elkhorn's book, aptly named Heaven. Uh, he calls it intermediate heaven. Kind of like, you know, swimming lessons, you get the beginning and you got intermediate and then eventually you, well, intermediate, what's it, intermediate's that word that means it's temporary. This is, this is where people go now to be with the Lord. That's exactly what he's going to talk about in a little bit. And then you got this place called intermediate hell where non-believers go separated from God. Uh, any questions? <laughs> I, blanks. I mean, this is the first start. This is what, nobody's experienced anything below this line yet. Because this is future for all of us. But this is the hope that he's talking about. But notice the way he's talking about it. He keeps talking about this tent. Well, if, we're, if we understand Scripture right, those who have died in the Lord, they haven't got that yet. How does that work? I don't know. You know, Paul says this in Romans, I'd rather be away, f away from my body and present with the Lord. Uh, well, talk about that maybe in a little bit when we get down to the few scriptures. So this is it. And I got this big line here because this is the second coming, which is, I don't know if you knew this, is still future. Uh, so, and this is what the Bible normally talks. This is what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about this thing. And I don't think it's a shadowy existence. The Lazarus doesn't seem to be all that upset about where he's at. Elijah, when he went into the, you know, I, I, think, it, it, I think it's going to be really cool. You know, we do that at funerals. We say, you know, they're in a better place. Well, I think they are. I really do. Much better. Uh, all the problems of the, but, but it's not, that's not what we were created. Adam didn't create it as just a spirit being, did he? Remember how Adam and Eve were created? They're, they're physical soul combinations, and that's what's going to happen in the new heaven and the new earth. So what happens in the second coming? This, uh, Jesus comes back. That's in there everywhere. Um, we sing songs about that too. Well, we have some people that are going to be alive at that time. You know, Paul looks like in his early letters, like 1 Thessalonians, that maybe he thinks he's going to be alive. He was wrong. He doesn't teach that. Um, you get that a lot on social media now, don't you? Uh, 
do you think Jesus is coming back pretty soon? I don't know. Maybe. He hasn't asked me. He has not put it on my calendar. And if anybody thinks they're telling you it's on their calendar, I would run the other way. Because the main metaphor for when Jesus comes back the second time is like a thief in the night. It's in there like six times. Why use that if we're going to know? And of course, you do have the scriptures say you're not going to know. So uh, why do, well, I don't know. I guess people need more, have too much free time. I, I don't know. Well, that's been out there since the dawn of time. Well, I know when Jesus is coming back. It's like, no, you don't. That's just silly. Um, so are you ready if he comes back? That's probably the main thing to do. So the second coming happens. Some people will be there, and they'll get their own judgment of faith, like people who have died in the Lord. And then we'll, have, we'll read about that in a minute in the Revelation 20, which is called the Great White Throne Judgment, where we have this thing called the judgment of works, and we'll hit this a little harder. You can read those scriptures. Hopefully this helps you. This is this great right. What do you mean by the judgment of works? I thought it was based on faith. Well, we'll, we'll look at it, and hopefully it'll, the, the change will fall into the meter. And... Down here, it looks like you hear that. You, you hear that some, you know, remember in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus says, do not store up your treasures on earth where, you know, the moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and, you know, steal. But store up yourself treasures in heaven. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, the reward thing here. Now, I think I've got this figured out, what those treasures are, but I might be wrong because, um, you know, we've all seen we can't take it with us, right? Um, I guess that's why you leave it to your kids, so they can't take it with them either. <laughs> but, but what are the treasures in heaven? I mean, when somebody dies in the Lord, what's there when they get there? What treasures are there? people. Well, and then one really important person, right? Yahweh. <laughs> I think that's the treasures. I think that's what he means. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Love God and love one another. It's almost, almost like God knew what he was doing when he came out with all this per personal stuff. The only thing you think about, the only thing you can't exhaust ever in this world is, your, is relationships. You know, we don't do that with each other, do we? It's like, well, you know what? I'm done talking to you now. I spent 20 years. It's been really fun. I've exhausted this relationship. <laughs> I don't think it works that way, uh, especially with God. It's, it, we're created as e eternal beings, I think, and this chart shows that because it comes from the Bible. But that's, that's it. You get to do You've all had that, right? You know, when you're up late at night and you want to keep talking or you're having fun and you don't want it to end. Maybe in heaven that won't. You don't have to be anywhere. This is what you're here for, is to experience each other. And we get those pinpricks of that in our own lives. So I think that's what's going I think that's the rewards. Um, I mean, you, you, you think about that. When, when you die, you're going to see people that you haven't seen for a while. That's going to be kind of fun, isn't it? That's going to be kind of fun to see that. I think that's, that's what we have to focus on. So, yeah, we're not saved because we have those treasures. We're not saved because we do good things. We do those things and have those treasures because we're saved, <laughs> because God has 
poured into our hearts his spirit and we trust in him and, 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 and grab on to the grace. So eventually you have this great white throne judgment. We'll read about that in just a minute. And eventually believers with their rewards, which I think I, you know, if you differ, let me know because I want to get this right. But I think that's the main thing anyway. Um, maybe I'll get to take my Apple Watch with me. You think? Because I really like my Apple Watch. But anyway. Um, and non-believers with anti-rewards, I don't know how that works. Um, you get that, you know. Uh, all these little metaphors. You know, I don't want to go to heaven because it'll be boring. Or that far side where there's a guy on a cloud with his little wings which is a misnomer, but that's a whole other thing. And he's, and he's playing a harp, and he, there's a little line that says, wish I'd brought a magazine. Is it, you know, it's not going to be that way, um, I don't think. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool. And, you know, not to get too flippant, but in heaven there ain't no beer. That's why we drink it here. Well, if there's beer there, I bet it's pretty good. Uh, you know, that's about relationships again, isn't it? Um, I'm not saying you're supposed to get kishnoggered up there. I'm just saying have fun with people. Uh, drinking, if you want to, kishnoggered, no. Okay? That's the scent. That, that, just get that in there. Uh, what is that commercial? No when to say when. Yeah, there you go. So, but you get, and then you get the, the final heaven, and that's the bottom here is when you get, and that's, you can read on in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, that's when you get this spiritual body. And I'm looking around, I'm like, what, what we all look like? What, what, how will that work? Uh, that's that's going to be interesting. And we don't really know. We don't really know. Um, maybe something like Jesus' body? I don't know. I, I don't know. You know Jesus is kind of unique. You know, he, we, that's the only evidence we have is Jesus' body when he rose again on Easter. And he was around for a little while and then he ascended into heaven. But this is the promise, and if you want more than the Bible does, I just be careful, because uh, there's people out there that'll give it to you. It's not true, but they'll give it to you. We just have to think that God's given us what we need. Do you think this is enough hope? Is this enough hope to say, you know, I can do this? When when we in our own lives or people that die, we can, this is enough hope for us because Jesus said this is sufficient and that's what I hope it is for you. So this chart kind of just systematizes this for us. It's not uh, the only chart out there. Um, and really, if you really want to look into this, I would read Randy Elcorn's book. Uh, I've never done that, but maybe that would be a good idea. Maybe we should vote, not right now. Uh, and it won't matter because I don't care how you vote. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It would be good information. Um, I've never redone a sermon series, I don't think. That'd be like a vacation. You wouldn't have to write anything. But it seems kind of cheap. <laughs> I guess if it's my own, it's not so bad. We'll think about that. Maybe we'll go back and look. Maybe we'll do a study series on it or something. But, but this is important, don't you think? Isn't it nice, hopefully for you, you probably already knew most of this, but if you didn't, isn't it nice to know this? To have the assurance? I mean, this is the promises we're given. This is the most important thing to know, I think, isn't it? What's going to happen and how I get there? That is very, very, it's really what Jesus is all about, is to tell us, get, to be that mediator to get us back into a loving relationship with a father and not just making him a judge. So, moving on in our text. So, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. 
We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's like three different verses in the Bible that say that, and I think I got this figured out, and we'll hit it in just a minute. So here, he's courageously with Christ no matter where we are. Isn't that cool? Um, I don't know if you've been reading the internet or wherever you get your news, but uh, the Christians in Afghanistan are really having some problems right now. Um, and so, you know, you pray for courage. You pray for, uh, I think we pray for protection, and, and that's good. I, I think I've told this story before. It's a pretty quick one. But when, we were, when I was in seminary, we had some, Sudan was going through some problems. Sudan's still going through some problems. But we had some Sudanese Christians that took a few classes, and uh, they were there for a couple months, and, so we asked them when they were going to leave, how could we be praying for you? Because they're getting persecuted for being Christians. And I'll never forget what they said. You know, may we remain courageous through the persecution. And my first thought as a first world dweeb was why didn't you ask for having the persecution go away? And so somebody, right before I opened my mouth and put my foot in it, said that. Well, why? And they said, you know, that would be fine too. But perhaps this is what's going to bring people to know. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> that's kind of Pauline almost, isn't it? And that's the idea, you know, courageous no matter what is the idea because, it, you know, God says he'll be with us even more when we go through those times. And you know that, right? When you're anxious, when things in your life are really causing problems and making you depressed, isn't that the time when you focus on God more? And isn't that the time when you need that text or call or whatever with a, where another believer can come alongside you and say, hey, I'm not going through much right now, but you are. I'm there for you. So remember that. So here Paul turns his attention briefly to the fact that he might experience death before the general resurrection. I think, it, you know, Corinthian letters are kind of a transition once you get to the pastorals, First and Second Timothy and Titus. He pretty much thinks he's going to be out of here before Jesus comes back. Because you never know, you know, that was thousands of years ago. Um, the first state, he talks about that, you know, the first state is where we are now, away from the Lord. And that doesn't mean he's not with us. Obviously, that's a promise, but we're not, well, you saw it in verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is the context this is in. Faith in what? Well, faith in Jesus. Well, what? Everything he promised. You know, he didn't die in this this on the cross so we could not get sick. He didn't die on the cross so we could be successful. He didn't die on the cross so we could just never have any problems, although I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for all that stuff. Um, he died on the cross so we could have eternal life with him, which starts now when you believe. If you believe, you already, you're in the eternity part. Isn't that cool? It's not after you die. It's now. So we're away from him in far as our physical location, but we're with him by the power of the Spirit. We have access to him through faith and, and the promises that are given. The second state is where everybody who's followed Jesus that have died now is experiencing right now. Away from the body and at home with the Lord. And he seems to kind of think that would be cool. Uh, you know, it doesn't all kind of depend on where you are. I guess I'd admit some days I'm like, oh, I'm kind of having a good day. I, I, I want to wait a couple days before that happens. 
And then there's other days, I'm ready. Come on, get her done. And you see that. Yeah, I remember Elijah back in first, or Second Kings. He's, you remember that? You get that whole you know, the whisper and the, the storm, and he's not in the storm and all that stuff. You remember what Elijah was praying about before that? Or actually after that? He's like, get me out of here. You know, I won that contest, whooped the bail people, and then Jezebel's after me again. I'm tired. There's nobody else that's following you. I just want out. Now, he would never, and this is a good thing. You can even use this with suicide counseling if they're Christian. He's never going to do it himself. It's not his life to take. We were bought with a price. But he's just given, and we do. You never do that when you pray, do you? You never get God advice, right? God, I don't think you're seeing it the way this really is. That's kind of a silly prayer, isn't it? God of the universe, sovereign over all things, that can see all contingencies, I think I need to give you some advice on how this should go. You can read Job 38 to see how that worked out for him. So I, I think when we think about these things, you know, again, just be ready. I mean, he's the one that's going to figure out. You know, there's going to be two ways you work your way out of this world. Either Jesus is coming back or you're going to die. That did not sound fun, did it? Uh, I don't know which one I want first. <laughs> I guess that's up to him. <coughs> I don't know what the probabilities are. But that's it. Oh, this is so clear. It's a very, very promising scripture away from the body and home with the Lord. Um, this has got to be pretty cool. And he sees that second state as preferable. No pain, no sin, no suffering. That, are that is one good reason why it's better. Um, but it's not the third and final state. New, immortal, physical bodies. I'm pretty sure I can dunk. Um, you ever think about that? We got some coaches in here and stuff. I mean, is it, you say, I've heard people say, we're well, going to win every game. Well, that, that means somebody else is going to lose, right? I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, maybe we'll write something on that. I don't know. There's not much about football in there, but there should be, right? <laughs> But yeah, after the second coming, it's a new heaven and a new earth. The, the, right now, heaven is somewhere else. You know, I don't know where, how that works. We can think about it in different ways, scientifically, but mostly biblically, hopefully. But they come together, and this is the consummate scripture for that. This is John in the book of Revelation. This is toward the end, and we're going to hit the one right before that at the end of the sermon. But then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. They're the same place. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, if you're like me and thinking, I want some beach, this sea is a metaphor for evil in Hebrew thought. So that's all he's talking about. You don't have that prop chaos. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's just, this is obviously metaphor. It's a big cube, if you want to uh, read on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is the third state. We're together. That's why we have to have this glorified body because otherwise, you, you know what happened in the Bible when somebody got close to Yahweh and didn't have a glorified body? <laughs> it was not good. You don't want the... That's, that's not good. Or even worse. Maybe that's even worse. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is cool stuff. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And it's all because of what we just sung about.
If you're ever down, read this stuff. <laughs> if you have this promise, nothing else matters. I mean, we matter. I mean, but, but, but isn't that, if we can give this to people. There's people out there that don't know Jesus at all. This is a pretty good fringe benefit. You know, people say, well, you're just preaching pie in the sky theology. It's like, well, there's a pie up there. There's not. I think there's a pie. And I don't think it's rhubarb because that would be horrible. It's probably either pecan or apple. It has to be, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Eat your own pie, right? In both the first and second state as believers, we should have courage, you know. Obviously, probably the courage is pretty good for the people in the second state, but we, again, we walk by faith, which we define as evidence in the promises of God, not some sort of blind leap. We got lots of evidence. We read it every week, right? But we make it our aim to please Him. This is what believers do. What can I do to please God today? And that could be lots of things, right? It doesn't have you worship, that's very good. But what can I do? And if, again, if you're not having fun pleasing God, you're doing it wrong. I mean, has it happened to you where you go to somebody that's going through a tough time? And that's hard to be there with them. But you develop a friendship? Isn't that kind of, I mean, it's cool. Because people listen to you, you know, at times when they're hurting. Especially if you're bringing stuff that really is promising. And then verse 10, and we'll finish up with this. All must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And this, I think Revelation 20, 11 through 15 na nails this for us. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on. This is just right before, I know this is not technical, but this is right before chapter 21, the end of chapter 20. So, From his presence, earth and sky fled away. So that's fled away, and then 21, we get the new creation. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. So this is plural. And I, I think the way you look at this, you can see this in Daniel, you can see it in Ephesians. These books are, you all got a book. I actually have an iPad, but I'm a little more technological than you are. Unfortunately, I can, more sins fit on this than the books you have, so it might be bad. But this is, what have you done for me? Um, what have you done against me? Uh, this. Then another book was open. That's just one book which is the book of life. This is the key. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. We have to figure out who are these dead. It's, it, we don't have our chart up there, but if it was up there, it'd be the ones on the left side, the non-believers, the one, or the right side, I think. Or west, I don't know, you know, the ones of the non-believers. These who, the, you, get, you get judgment. God is your judge if you don't believe in Jesus. God is your father if you do. That's a big difference. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. Well, that tells us something because the Hades word is hell. So the, these are the ones who are in this intermediate hell, they come up and get judged by their works. Each one of them according to what they had done. So you either get judged by Christ's works or yours. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is the final place. This is it. Bottomless pit, however you put it. And here's your key. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Isn't that cool? And how do you get your name in the book of life? You get this in Ephesians. You get this in, in, in Daniel. It's grace. Accepting the grace by faith. And then you get your name in the book, 
And when they look at your other book, they open it up, and there's no sin. Isn't that cool? This is clear, folks, and we need to get this right. We, we serve a wonderful God, and he has given us all this information for us to understand. We don't want God to be our judge. In fact, he doesn't want to be our judge. He wants to be our Savior. He wants to be our Father, a loving Father. So when we mess up in this life, and you will, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence and realize that he has given you exactly what you need that you realize that the Bible teaches that you were guilty before a holy God, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I know some of you, and you know me, my book had a lot of pages in it when I met him. A lot of things in there need to be erased. We understand that we're guilty, we repent, we accept and experience God's love through his grace. Our name is written in the book of life, and when we come to this great white throne judgment, we are judged by Christ's work and not ours. And so because we know that, we live a life of gratitude. As Paul puts it, we do what we can and make it our aim to please him, awaiting a future by faith that is going to be really, really cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words from Paul that helps us understand what awaits all of us who believe in him. We pray for people here, uh, online, or wherever, the people we meet that don't know him. What a great promise uh, is there for people. And it's all done for us if we just accept it. Maybe remember that, that we are saved by grace. We just need to trust you, your promises, now and forever.